0: welcome new and old friends my name is 242 and today 42 got us two scary stories remember like subscribe share and comment but i do have that sunday word as well so turn off your lights make sure your doors and windows are locked things are about to get spooky The fact that the victim's organs were removed with surgical precision, and while they were still alive, wasn't what was bothering me. What was bothering me was that the cuts appeared to originate from inside the victim's body. leave a light on by as the raven dreams my mother was a bit of a strange woman she was always a bit obsessed over certain things all throughout my childhood and it definitely made growing up a bit awkward there were a few things that she would be disruptively obsessed with that i never understood When she did laundry, the clothes that came out of the dryer needed to be folded and put in the drawer or closet right away. We never had a basket for clean clothes. Dishes were never to sit in the sink for more than the time it took to eat a meal, ever. We were expected to wash them, dry them, and put them away immediately. The dog needed to be walked at exactly 6.30pm, and we were to walk down the street in one direction and then back and the walk needed to be over by 7.15 p.m. She was a strict woman, and us kids were always put to the test when it came to living in our childhood home. We were always trying to do what she wanted us to do, but it felt like the list of rules and guidelines by which we were expected to live was ever-expanding. Using the computer was strictly timed. Our toys need to be put in their provided bins in our rooms. Our clothes should be hung up and organized by color or sorted into the specific drawers. Not a single thing was to be out of line or out of place. And she would check. Oh, Lord, would she check. Us three kids knew that when we did something, we needed to make sure it was done right. We almost had a system in place where we peer review our chores. I'd do the dishes, and then my older sister Samantha would make sure they were done right before Mom could do her routine verification. Billy would hang his clothes up in the closet, and I would come in and scrutinize his work. Samantha would sweep or mop the tile floors, and Billy would come in behind her just to make sure every single inch of the floor was spotless. Needless to say, we had the cleanest house in the damn state. But there was one thing my mother always did that was weird to me. Well, weirder than forcing us to live by her obsessive rules. It was the one thing that seemed to almost be an opposite to a perfectionist attitude. She would always make us leave a light on. Now, that may not sound too strange to some. Maybe leave a light on the hallway to help people get up in the middle of the night, see where they're going. Or maybe leave the kitchen light on downstairs for whatever reason. But it wasn't like that. When she told us to leave a light on, it was in every single room. Every single night. I had a small lamp on my writing desk that I had to keep on. Samantha had a light on her fish tank that Mom glued to the on position. And Billy had a ceiling light in his closet that Mom turned on and cut the pull string so that he couldn't turn it off. With how much of a perfectionist she was... You would think she would want the lights off at night, that she'd want to make sure the house was dark in every room, and that we all slept like we were supposed to. But this wasn't the case. She would leave the light on above the stove every night, leaving the lamp on in the living room, making sure the small plug in night lights were on in the hallway and even went as far as installing a secondary light in the bathroom that was wired to a switch in her room. Obviously, this made going to bed a very awkward process. She would tell us that it was bedtime, and we would all march together through each room making sure that there was a light on, and we would split off one by one to bed with everyone saying goodnight together until my mother went to her room by herself and shut her door. We all had doors to our rooms, but she never let us shut them overnight. We had to leave at least a part of the way open. It was a bit of a double standard that she could close her door, but we couldn't. But it was just another pain of growing up with her. What was even more strange, at least to me, was the fact that none of us really questioned this process, nor did any of us deviate from it with only one exception. I remember one year when Samantha was in her rebellious teen years, there was one night where she had, apparently, unplugged the light in her tank so that her room was completely dark. At some point, my mother had come out of her room for whatever reason and noticed that her room was dark. The scene that played out that night... Let's just say that I have never seen my mother so distressed over anything in my entire life. My mother may have been a strict woman, but that was the only time I ever heard her raise her voice. Being obsessive-compulsive, it's easy to imagine how she would have reacted to this thing being out of line with everything else. She obviously would be unhappy, upset, and probably overreact a bit. She went way beyond that, though. It was as if the action had destroyed her mental state and thrown her into a full-blown and chaotic panic attack. She yelled, screamed, cried, and tore into my sister for more than an hour. But what she was saying made little to no sense. I remember very specifically the concerns that she voiced. She repeatedly voiced the concern of what would have happened if she had died. Now, my mother never spoke with myself or Billy about her death, but I guess Samantha was different because she was the oldest. When my mother yelled this at my sister, her demeanor changed her rebellious teen to one that almost looked sympathetic. She no longer wanted to argue her position, but instead just conceded that my mother was right, and she apologized all the while my mother kept demeaning and aggressively chastising her for turning the light off. I never understood the connection between my sister turning off her light and the random possibility of my mother passing away in the night. It never made any sense to me, and as much as I wanted to ask Samantha what it was all about, I just couldn't seem to do so. Something about how she shifted from an angry and disobedient teenager to an almost submissive and apologetic told me that it wasn't something that should be brought up in passing conversation. That was the only time one of us ever fell out of compliance with my mother's request, and it was the only time she ever became this aggressive with any of us. She would punish us if we did get out of line, or didn't do something to her standards. But again, she was always calm and collective about it, with only one exception. As time went on, it almost seemed like this conversation weighed heavy on my sister. And when she turned 18, she was quick to get her own place and leave the house. That day that she packed all of her things into her car, and was about to be on her way to her new house, was a painful one. The goodbyes between my mother and my sister were very short, and as my sister was seeing her car with her engine idling, about to pull out of the driveway one last time, my mother walked over to the window, leaning down and looked her straight in the eyes to say, Remember, Samantha, always leave a light on. My sister's look of joy once more faded to the look of melancholy, and she nodded in agreement, then left. I never saw her again after that, which most people would look at as a sad thing, but to me, it just means that she needed to get away. I have no idea where she is now, how her life is going, or what she's been doing, but I do know that 12 years is a long time to not speak to someone. When I turned 18, I also moved out of the house. But I moved into a small apartment just down the street. I couldn't bring myself to leave my mother, no matter how strict she was, or my brother behind like Samantha had. My mother gave me the same lecture about leaving a light on when I moved out as well. And I agreed to it. And since it had been so ingrained in my brain over the years... It wasn't hard to keep doing it. After a couple of years, though, I started to feel like it was such a silly thing for me to do. I was 20. I lived on my own. was forming my own life and relationships, and I didn't really understand why I had to continue following these pointless requests of my mentally unstable mother. So, one weekend, I drove back to my mother's house and asked her if she and I could have a talk. She was a bit nervous at first, that much was obvious. But after a bit of convincing, I finally just blurted out. I asked her in a direct manner, What is with the lights? She asked me what I meant, and I just kind of let it loose. She knew what I meant. She knew exactly what I was talking about. So I was a bit upset with the question. I asked her why we were all expected to leave the lights on. Why was she so dead set on forcing us to keep our rooms lit up every single night? I expected her to get mad, but she didn't. I expected her to berate me and give me the same angry lecture she gave my sister so many years ago. But again she didn't. She sat on her bed and she looked me dead in the eyes and told me the truth or what she said was the truth. My mother sat there and told me that she was cursed and that because of her being cursed the three of us were also cursed. She said that when she died we would all be haunted by the same demonic presence that had bound itself to her and that it could only live in dark if there was a light, this beam wouldn't be able to get to us, and because of that, we all had to keep our lights on. This whole time, for 20 years of my life, I was doing something that was feeding to my mother's mental illness. She was clearly crazy, and we were all just going with it. It never occurred to me that her demands were because of some supposed demon coming to get us. I always thought it was weird, but then after a while I considered that she may have gone through some kind of childhood trauma, and it messed with her to the point that she struggled to cope with certain things. It explained the obsessive-compulsive issues, so I kind of thought it explained that too. But no instead she was just delusional. I couldn't take it anymore and I told her I was leaving and that I wouldn't be coming back. She didn't even try to stop me. She didn't even tell me that she knew it was crazy. She didn't tell me to be careful. She simply said okay and motioned that she was fine with me leaving. After this conversation, A lot of things made sense. Her issues, her compulsions, why my sister left and decided that she would never want to come back. Cutting off contact was the best thing to do for our sake. And I will admit that it's what I did. I stopped talking to her altogether. I wasn't going to feed into whatever problems she had. And while some people may claim that I was being selfish or That I was going about it wrong. Yeah, maybe I was. But after 20 years, there's only so much you can take. I kept in touch with my brother and very rarely said hi to her. But it was pretty much no contact situation. The whole thing happened about three years ago. And since then, I've created my own life and gone my own way. I stopped indulging myself in my mother's delusions. I stopped sleeping with a light on and let my apartment get messy. Not gross, but messy enough that it made me comfortable. Maybe I was being shallow, but having a bit of clutter was nice after spending my whole life living in a spotless house. As mentioned, I still keep in touch with Billy, But I did my own thing as far as living was concerned. I even bought blackout curtains to keep my room dark in the daytime. And at night, it was so dark that you couldn't see your hands in front of your face. Better yet, nothing ever happened to me, which proved to me that all of this was a farce. Today, however, things have felt a bit off. On my way home from work, there was a major delay on the highway. Apparently, a car had gone over the embankment, and it was a pretty major crash. It caused my 10-minute drive to take an hour as the emergency crews tried to lift the car out of the ditch, and it was pretty clearly a big deal as they all looked rather distraught. It was an annoyance, sure, But I more so felt pity for whoever was in the car and, of course, their family. When I did get home, it was already getting dark, and I wasn't hungry. So I just went straight to my bedroom and decided to play a video game for a couple of hours before going to bed. At some point, I noticed that an unknown number had called my phone and left a voicemail, which was a strange occurrence for sure but also not unheard of. I've gotten enough calls from people trying to extend my car's warranty to know that it was probably a BS scam. There was also a missed call from my mother, but I wasn't in the mood to talk to her at all. So I just dismissed the notification and moved on. Around nine, I decided I was going to turn in for the night. I'd been playing over a dozen rounds of my game and I was starting to get to the point that I was frustrated each time I lost, which means that I was getting tired. I was the type to always get into a bad mood the more tired I got, so I knew it was time to shut it off and sleep. So I did, or I tried to, but the whole time that I lay there with my eyes closed, I couldn't help but shake this weird feeling in my mind. Something was telling me that I had forgotten to do something, that there was something I needed to do right at that moment, and that it was critical that I did it. I tried to ignore the feeling. I tried to cover my head and just sink into sleep, but my brain would not let me. After a few minutes, something clicked, and I remembered the voicemail. Was that it? Was the voicemail from the unknown number the thing that was bothering me so badly? I grabbed my phone and turned on the screen, then dialed into my voicemail. It mentioned I had two messages waiting for me, so I pressed play. The first message was from the unknown number. It was some guy that I didn't know. Hi, this is Officer Jonathan Rogers. We are trying to reach you about an accident that happened earlier today. If you could please call us back at... He rambled off the number to call, much to my confusion. Once the message ended, the next one started to play. The voice in this message was much more familiar, though its tone was calm and warm. It was my mother. She sounded happy, almost like something had happened that had put her in an incredibly joyous mood. The message was simple. I wanted to call to let you know that I love you and I forgive you. I know someday you'll understand what I went through, you understand what I said to you. Until then, my dear child, leave a light on. As obvious as it may seem from the outside, I was slow to piece together the puzzle that was put in front of me, mostly because I didn't have the time to really think it through. As the message ended and I hung up the call to my voicemail, I locked my screen and tossed my phone onto the floor, and then just stared up at my ceiling, lost in thought. I stared into the absolute darkness that was my room, And I slowly connected the dots. However, as I started to put everything together, I noticed something strange about the shadows that covered the ceiling of my room. Something that almost felt like movement. My tired eyes tried their best to absorb the darkness and create an image for my brain to identify. But the blackness started to move, To pull down towards me as the room felt like it was spinning. Then, as the shape fell slowly towards my face and my brain started to plot out the three-dimensional points of whatever I thought I was seeing, a few things crossed my mind. The first of which was, maybe my mother wasn't as crazy as I thought she was. Maybe she had a point. And maybe there are things out there in the darkness that we don't realize. The second thought was, I really hope that whatever those glowing red eyes belong to doesn't see me. The hitchhiker I picked up some time ago put a gun to my head and said, Don't worry, because the people I kill keep living in my memory. If that was true, you would have recognized me, I said, looking at him. Has anyone heard of Patience, Massachusetts? Bye. SPIN ALT TWIST 95 PATIENCE, Massachusetts. I wish I had never heard of that town before. It's silly to wish that about a place you've never set foot in. Hell, I can't even find evidence that it exists. If it does exist, though, if one of you have heard of it, please let me know. It was my sister who told me about PATIENCE first. It has been almost a year to the date when she first sent me a message saying that she had gotten this flyer in the mail and thought it was a prank, saying, Look at this creepy-ass flyer I got. I guess it's for some new haunted house? I looked at the picture of the flyer and asked all kinds of questions that you will most definitely have, too. I cannot answer them, however, the same way Sarah couldn't answer mine. I asked her if she was going to go with her friends. She said she probably would if they had to put an email on the flyer. Her friends all loved that spooky Halloween stuff. I think Sarah was the glue that held that group together because she was the link that everyone knew. But they all seemed to get along well enough, even if they only got together for Halloween. After that last message from Sarah... I didn't think about Patience again until October. Sarah messaged me on October 1st, and all it said was, I'm going to Patience. Love you, sis. That was the last time I heard from her, if you couldn't already have guessed that. The police began looking for her after a week when we noticed she was missing. Her not living at home anymore made it harder to realize she was gone. When we contacted her friends, they said they hadn't heard anything from Sarah this year and figured that she hadn't gotten busy with work for any Halloween stuff, or was just waiting for it to get closer to Halloween. We never found a single sign of her. No car, no clothes, and no patients. I told the police about it and even found the flyer in her apartment, but they chalked it up to an unrelated incident can't believe i pay taxes for these lazy assholes they won't even try and investigate her disappearance i don't have any other ideas so i thought maybe you guys would know patience if you do please let me know i want my sister back and this is the only lead i have i'm putting in the flyer now to see if it jogs anyone's memories i hope it's just a prank but when i held it Something feels off about it, like it's watching me. The flyer reads as such, You will come to Patience, Massachusetts for Halloween. Why am I coming to Patience, Massachusetts? I hear you asking. The answer is simple. There's no place else like it. We have many sights to see and landmarks natural man-made to gaze at. If you want to go hiking and take in the natural splendor that the Lord set out for us, you can with miles of trails leading to caves, waterfalls, and beautiful outlooks. October is the best time to come to our little paradise, however. We love Halloween like no other place on earth. We know you love Halloween too. Going to all those haunted houses every year and making your friends and family go to all those cookie-cutter horror movies. Not to mention the books you read, not unlike the one you are reading right at this moment, in fact. All of these are more than enough to satisfy the normal people who ingest Halloween once a week a year. You are not normal people, are you? Don't you want to be with people who understand Halloween and celebrate it with the same enthusiasm you've been too ashamed to really show around your friends? As soon as you see Patience, you will know that you are among your own. Halloween is built into our town's DNA. Like the water in your cup, the thread in your coat, or the blood in your veins. You see, we were the first town in America to have a witch trial. And yes, I know that people stake that claim to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, with good Bridget Bishop being hung. However, that's incorrect, you see. While Bridget was the first witch to be executed by trial in America, The first witch trial actually goes to Patience. We were simply forgotten for our compassion. See, Miss Patricia Compton was the first witch to be judged innocent on the continent. Our founding mothers built Patience on the foundation that Patricia Compton sent that night when she was so rudely accused. Patricia, however, went on to become the lead priestess in Patience Town Church. That's why we always give second chances here in Patience. So, now you know it's a piece of American history. A history that directly inspires thoughts of Halloween. Let me tell you all the fun attractions you can do while visiting our lovely little town. Patience transforms on October 1st. It shifts into a plan that is unfamiliar, yet slightly... Reminiscent of Patience. Every house is draped in cobwebs. Every porch has a grinning pumpkin on its steps with flames in its eyes. Pumpkin patches on the edge of town, making the residents ask themselves if those pumpkins were there on the 30th of September, or still there on November 1st. But they hardly think twice about it, because it's October. It's Halloween, their favorite time of year. The residents love Halloween so much, in fact, that they dress up all month. You read that correctly. All month is Halloween in patience. They walk the streets dressed as werewolves, vampires, priests, and witches. They are so dedicated to the experience of your visit that they are fully in character. This is just another example of how serious we take Halloween experience here in Patience. In Patience, you will stumble into Halloween. Not a town that gets into the spirit of Halloween, but a town that is the epitome of Halloween. No Ironmans, Batmans, or Minions here. Patience doesn't let you become something you want to be. It lets you become what you are. As you walk down our streets, you'll see the church with its crosses on the front lawn, with skeletons attached to them with the ones in the center with nails through their hands and feet. As you take a left past the church, you'll see the cemetery, with its small gravestones speaking out as a beacon to the dead. As you look away, you will think you see something and quickly turn your head back. Fingers slowly splitting the earth and pulling out of the grassy resting place. As you consider why, these skeletons only have eyes and no skin. Just eyes hanging in their sockets. You will move on before you can think of an answer, however. Possibly our biggest attraction, however, is our most obvious. Our haunted houses. We have a myriad of different little haunted houses that are set up by our residents. Some residents even set them up in their own personal houses. Talk about commitment! We have a street in one of our best communities, Webster Housing Community, that is only haunted houses from 8 at night all the way to midnight every night of October. Everything from the not-so-subtle name Dracula's Bloody Abode, which I've heard you want to bring a raincoat to if you decide to go in, which you will. Another more experimental haunt we have called the Peak of Madness, in which the daring customer traverses an impossible steep trial to discover uncovered mysteries of our world. Some people come out knowing more about themselves and are equipped with impossible revelations about their life. Some don't come back out at all, made to serve the town since they have lost all sense of self and no longer recall anything before patience. Our next, and not to be biased, the best attraction is the Witch's Cauldron. This was made with our town's perfectly festive history in mind. You are Patricia Colton. You begin in your home eating dinner as you are ripped from your house by the authorities, dragged in front of the entire town and confronted with your crimes against God and nature. They show you the children that you possess that wither and scream in agony as they are pricked and prodded by needles. They show you the burns that gather at their ankles and wrists as if they are being held down by Lucifer himself. The questions you'll be asked is if you entered into a pact with the Dark Ones. They ask why you torture these children. What do you get out of all of this? You smile, not even sure why you're doing it. You realize your body is no longer your own. It's hers to control now. She replies through your mouth. Yes, I have entered into a pact with he. "'My name is in his black book as well as my blood. "'He showed me what secrets I craved "'and I know which masters should be served. "'You claim to serve Jesus, but you do no such thing. "'You serve yourself. "'You use your God for favors and respect among the people. "'I had patience, however.' I set out to show the rest of this congregation you've gathered here in his woods the truth. The same truth he showed me. It is at this time the man grabs at his neck with his eyes wide with shock as his neck licks blood down his shirt and pools on the ground. Your coven stands and presents the black book to you so you can give it its sacrifice. Your visions of Patricia fade away, and you realize you're in a house with me, and in front of you is a table that holds a book. A black book that you try to inspect, but your eyes protest and slip off the tomb. You'll feel as you imagine the skeletons felt. Your attention focused back to me. You'll try to talk, but my spell will certainly rob you of that ability. Probably already has if you've read this far. All you can do is walk and look. This is when you'll sign the black book. As you sign your name, you will feel a new you rising in your body as the old will be given up as a sacrifice to our master. A sacrifice that will fuel our town for another year. As the old drains from you, it worries, but only for a time. The important part of you remains. Your love of Halloween will be stronger than ever. That's why you were chosen, after all. You will now be able to live in patience forever with us in the glory of Halloween. This is your second chance. We look forward to your arrival in patience. After two days of hiking through rugged terrain, I finally made it to the abandoned prison. I was looking at the blood stain in what must have been solitary confinement when I heard the door slam shut behind me. And with that, we're near the end of this video. As always, I'd like to thank the writers who let me read their stories today. These two definitely gave me a chill. Maybe I'll leave a light on. And I'd like to give an official welcome to my first member on YouTube. Welcome, Evil Outcasts, and thank you for your support. Now, if you enjoyed this video, hit that like button and make sure it feels it. If you're new, subscribe, and turn that free little bell to all notifications. If you'd like to help this channel slash podcast, share these stories with anyone who might enjoy them. If you'd like to help in other ways, I do have Patreon, memberships, merch, and PayPal. And none of this will ever be expected, but always appreciated. Last, but never least, I would always love a comment. So let me get you that Sunday word. On screen right now is everyone who wrote me a sentence last week. Thank you guys so much. I truly enjoy comments. Now, on to this Sunday's word, which is circulation. If you're on YouTube or somewhere where you can leave a comment, you can just write a sentence using this word and you'll be in next week's photo. If you're on the podcast, you can go to Twitter, adding242reads, And I'll add you to next week's photo as well. But as always, guys, thank you for watching and listening. It really means a lot, and to see everything grow is really amazing. Sleep tight, and don't let 42 bite.